Good evening. It's a great honor to be here tonight in a Netzach Synagogue in Beverly Hills. And this shiur will be Lerfuat Chaim ben Sarina, Leilu Nishmat Tzadok ben Shlomo, Leilu Nishmat Yitzchak Avraham ben Yehuda, and Lerfuat Nekadam Bat Pnina, and Daniel Ayov Saderan, and Atzlacha and Shuvah of Gabriel Avraham ben Daniel Brenda. I'm just coming from a great lecture. It came out very nice in Torah Chaim in Encino, in the valley. It was very, very good, powerful one. Uh, I don't know what to talk about until I get to see the audience. Once I see the people, I know what to talk about. I was told that maybe there will be some people here that are not sure that the Torah is divine. Maybe they're not sure, maybe they have doubts. Uh, you know, I want to tell you, sometimes you have people come to me and they, uh, they have problems with the kids in yeshiva. You know, kids go to yeshiva, they learn Torah, Gemara, Mishnah, Chumash, Halakha. Sometimes a parent come to me and say, I have problems with my kid in yeshiva. I ask, what's the problem? They say, they want to throw him out. The Rebbe said that they, they lost their patient to my son. I ask, why? What does your son do? He's beating up the kids. He's beating up the Rebbe. What is he doing? He said, no. He asked a lot of annoying questions. He asked the Rebbe, how do I know there is a God? How do I know the Torah is from God? How do I know the Gemara is from God? How do I know these halachot are correct? This is really what God wants. How do I know maybe, maybe the rabbis didn't make it up? Maybe the rabbis made it up and, and everything I'm going to do is not going to be from God. How do I know I'm not wasting my time? How do I know that my parents and my grandparents were not fooled by others? So I said, Baruch Hashem, there is one smart kid in a class. Everyone else is like a fish. Whatever you feed them, they eat. Finally, one kid has an open mind to ask good questions. It's not a fool. Ma, one day Muhammad come from the desert. I am the new prophet. Who are you? Muhammad. What made you a prophet? Angel Jibril found me in a desert and gave me the Quran. You have to believe in me. How many witnesses you had? No one. You expect us to believe in you? You better believe in me. Because if you don't, I will chop your head off. That's how it all started. See all the problems in the world? Started from this fairy tale. No joke. That's exactly how it started. You don't believe that I'm the prophet? I'll kill you right now. Accept me as a prophet. Of, but you don't know how to read, you don't know how to write. What kind of a prophet is this? All the prophets that God has were the, the greatest rabbis. Yeshaya, Yechezkel, Yoel, Amos, Haggai, Moshe Rabbeinu, they're all the greatest people on earth. What kind of a prophet you, you, you are? First of all, you're not Jewish, which is already one problem, because almost all the prophets were Jewish. Second, 
the last prophet before you was uh, 700 years ago or more. 700 years, there's no prophets. All of a sudden, some guy who doesn't know how to read and write became a prophet. Very unlikely. Don't ask questions. Don't annoy me. You accept me or I kill you? Oh, okay, no, don't kill me. And that's how it started. And today you have 1.8 billion people follow this nonsense and making everybody else miserable. That's what's basically happening now. So many countries are finished. They have no future. England, France, Sweden, Denmark, Greece, Holland. Almost every one of the European countries finished. That's it. Radical murderers took over. They burn, they vandalize, they threaten them nonstop. The people of Paris, there are places over there nobody can come in. The police doesn't come in. Someone called, my husband is murdering me. Sorry. It's a no entry zone. They can come. No joke. The police don't come. Tell them someone is killing someone. Ahmed killing Mustafa. Good luck with it. We don't come. Why? A few times we came. We came out dead. We're not coming there. It's much like going into Gaza. They're afraid. Why should they die? You have five million like this, radical, who wants to destroy French people. Same thing in England, same thing everywhere you go. They're finished already. United States is next. In the end, this is what's going to be in the world. If the Messiah won't come before that, God forbid. Do you know what will be in the end? It will be almost the whole world Arabs. Then you will have the East, China, Japan, Singapore, all these places that will remain because they don't allow Islam to raise their head there. They don't let. So you have the Oriental, Arabs, and Israel, which will be also 90% Arabs. That's what's going to be. It's, um, we're talking within maximum 20 to maximum 40 years from now. Some of you will still be alive. To see this disaster, that everywhere you go, you're going to have to do whatever they want, otherwise they'll chop your head off. This is, by the way, the punishment of God to the people of the world. That's what the Gemara say. Ishmael, why his name is Ishmael? Because the problems that he's going to make to the Jewish people before the end of days will be so bad that all Jews would scream to God for mercy and he will give them mercy. That's why the name Ishmael means in Hebrew, God will hear. That's the name of the Arabs, the first Arab, Ishmael, God will hear. God will hear what? The screaming of his children for mercy, for help. Because it will be the hardest time in the history. You thought you saw the worst time in the time of the Nazis? Think again. It's going to be a lot worse. A lot worse because the Arabs hate us much more than the Nazis hated us. And I always prove it in one minute. And the argument is over right after that. Some people say, what? What makes you think so? They both hate us. Well, why more than the Nazis? It's very simple. If you tell a Nazi, here is a button, click on it, 100,000 Jews will die in a second. 
but you lose your arm. You're going to have only one hand from now on. This arm you lost. No Nazi will agree. Ma, you're giving up the opportunity to gas 100,000 Jews in a second? You're giving it up? Yes. Why are you giving it up? I thought you hate them very much. Of course, there's nothing I hate more than them. So why you don't gas them? Because I don't want to lose my arm. I don't even want to lose one finger. If you tell me that I will have nine fingers from now on for killing those 100,000 Jews, I don't agree. You come to any Palestinian, any, anyone, all these children, teenagers, shahids, tell them you can kill 100,000 Jews and you burn with them. No hesitation whatsoever. Of course! Not only can I bring all my brothers and sisters also to join the party, he's willing to die with all his children to kill one Jew, forget a hundred thousand. Ten of them willing to jump into the fire as long as they drag one Jew with them into the fire. No Nazi would agree to lose one hair from his head to hurt Jews. As much as they hated us, they only killed us because they didn't get hurt. Once they got hurt, they were willing to release the last million Jews into any countries that the Zionist movement will choose for 10,000 trucks full of medicine and blankets. Eichmann contacted the Jewish agency. This Jewish agency, that you still hear about them? Eichmann said to them, we're losing the war. The Russians, the Americans... We don't have that much time left. We need immediately 10,000 trucks full of blankets and full of medicine. We'll give you the list of what we need. You, the Jews, have billions of dollars back then. You will raise the money for those trucks. You give us the trucks, we will release one million Jews. The name of the Zionist, it's in his book. His name was Yoel Brand a non-religious Jew, a Zionist communist, like the Jews of those days that were not religious, he is meeting Eichmann one-on-one. He wrote it in his book. By the way, not one person came to his funeral because they looked at him as a traitor for revealing the secret in his book. You can buy his book if you know Hebrew. You can read it there, right there. It's even on the internet. I once Googled it. Yoel Brand. Yoel Brand meeting Eichmann. Eichmann said to him, if you get me 10,000 trucks, I will release one million Jews that are left in our hands, unarmed. Yoel Brand was frozen, speaking to the most evil person on earth, after Hitler himself, Adolf Eichmann, the butcher. Eichmann said to him, I know you don't trust me, and you don't believe that I will release the Jews, but I will trust you, don't worry. You just show me a letter of credit that you have the trucks and the medicine already. I will release 100,000 Jews after they leave to any country you choose. Give me 1,000 trucks. I will release another 100,000 Jews. Give me the second thousand. Like this, I first release the, the Jews, and you will give me the trucks. Quickly, Oil Brand, which was a secular Jew, but he has a good heart. He wants to save those Jews. He went quickly to Ben-Gurion, David Ben-Gurion, Ben-Gurion Airport. 
he came to David Ben-Gurion and he said to him, we have an opportunity to save one million Jews from death. Ben-Gurion said to him, what do we need them for? What do we need them for? They're going to come here, we're going to have to take care of them? Ben-Gurion said to him, I rather have a fat sheep that gives good milk in a meshek, in a kibbutz, than a thousand parasites, a million parasites that will come here and will become a burden to us. Yoel Brandt said to him, you're out of your mind? Do you understand what you're saying here? We have an opportunity to save one million Jews from gas chambers, from, from being burned. When they saw that Yoel Brand doesn't let go, he said, I'm going to write a book, I'm going to publish this, everyone will know about it. They got scared. So they say to him, okay, you have to go to Egypt. There will be one rich person who will meet you over there and he will take care of it. They informed the Egyptians that a Jewish spy is coming. Once he came, he arrived to Egypt, boom, they arrested him, put him 60 days in prison, and every day they were killing 10,000 Jews every day. Once they finished to kill these million Jews, they released him. And he wrote this in his book. Don't have to believe me. Don't believe a word of what I say. Just read it there. It's now all over the internet. I mean, people read it. They were sh- the shock of their life. And they keep saying, the Nazis, the Nazis, the Nazis, the Nazis? You could have released one million Jews. You didn't want to release them. Why? Because he had to take care of them. He had to make tents for them, places to live, to let them go into society. And many of them were religious, which they were very allergic to religious people. They don't want them to come to Israel with their black hats and beards. They didn't want this kind of Jews. They wanted Israel to become a nation of non-Jews, of Jews that live 100% like non-Jews. No Shabbat, no Tfilot, no synagogues, no Mikveh, no nothing. They want Israel to be London and Paris. That was the dream. And this is it. So when someone asks questions, I admire him. I admire him. For me, if I see a secular Jew that refused to do a Brit Milah to his son, and I see another secular Jew that is insisting to do Brit Milah to his son. For me, the one that refused to do Brit Milah is a greater person. Why? He's an unbeliever and he's following his belief. He's not a faker. One day he's religious, one day he's secular. According to what he wants to do, pick and choose. No. I rather a person come to me and say, leave me alone. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in the Torah. I don't believe in the Gemara. I don't believe in anything. Why should I cut a piece from my baby's, from, from his, from my baby's body? You, you're out of your mind? If I would cut his ear, I would be in prison for 20 years. Why would I cut another piece from his body if I say to you that this book for me is nothing. It's a piece of paper. What permission I have to attack a baby and cut a piece from his body in eight days? I say to him, I admire you. Why? Because you're not a faker. You are mistaken, but at least you're not a faker. So all I need is one hour with you. After I prove to you the Torah is 100% divine, you'll be more religious than me ten times more. Because look at you. You're so devoted to your truth. You're not a faker. You're not a hypocrite. This traditional faker... Rabbi, give me bracha. Give you bracha? What does he do? He does all the, commit all the sins of the Torah. Then he says, Rabbi, 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 can you give me bracha for what? Good parnasa. 
טוב, I give you ברכה for good פרנסה. Now you're going to make a million dollars. What are you going to do with that? Buy a beautiful car, nice good car, and drive on Shabbat. That's what you want, right? What do you want money for? To commit more sins. I have a guy that I know. He said to me, I know why God doesn't make me wealthy. I know. I say, what do you mean? He said, look, I'm giving Maser 100%. I write every dollar I make. Immediately I write in my notebook how much I have to move to the Maser. I'm very precise. I give 10% of my net income, tzedakah, charity. And uh, the, the Torah promised that everyone who gives 10% from his net income, it's guaranteed to become wealthy. But I'm an exception to the rule, he said to me. I said, why? He said, because Hashem knows my plans. The minute I will have money, I leave Monsi. I go to Miami Beach, I find myself a girlfriend and live like a hundred percent like a goy. That's my plans. I said, wow, you're such an honest guy. Stupid, but honest. <laughs> so Baruch Hashem, this he told me 25 years ago. He still didn't make money. He still Baruch Hashem Shomer Mitzvot. I said to him, you're not embarrassed? Hashem is going to give you, let's say, a million dollars or two hundred thousand dollars. You're going to take the money and run to become a non-Jew in your behavior? He said, yes. So Hashem knows my plan. He reads my mind. As soon as I will have money, I would like to live in this world. I said to him, but this world would make you lose the next world, which is eternity. Whatever happened, happened. At least I will enjoy now. In English, there is an expression from someone, for someone like that. It's called penny-wise, dollar-foolish. It's very smart with pennies. When it comes to dollars, it's very stupid. You know these people, they're very good when there's business of a few hundred dollars, but when it comes to millions of dollars, they're dumb. Usually banks are like this. Banks, when you owe them... $50,000, they kill you. They kill you. Freeze your account, judgments, all kinds of collections. When you owe them $200 million, they're willing to cut 80%. Let's renegotiate. Okay, I'll give you 10 cents on the dollar. Really? Okay, let's do it. That's what's happening. The miserable guy who has, who's short on his mortgage... They take his heart out. When it comes to all these tycoons, oh, I have 10 buildings. Okay, you can take the buildings. What do you mean? We're going to lose a billion dollars here. Tough luck. And you know what? After they take the buildings and they took a big loss, two years later, they'll give him another loan. <laughs> I cleaned my credit. Paid someone $1,500, he cleaned the credit. This is the world of fakeness that we live in. But that's not what I came to talk about here tonight. So for those who ask strange questions, but they are honest, they ask, how do I know the Gemara is divine? Oh, I, I appreciate such a question. That's why, you see what over here? My dear student, Aaron Golfeis, a young man, just got married, that's the reason I came to LA, Thursday night. 
I was very young. He contacted me. He's very inspired, him and his friends from the lectures. Baruch Hashem, like many young Persian boys here in, in, New York, in Los Angeles. But you, I saw right away that he's unique. I see when people get excited, but I see the one that has the potential to be somebody big. Because I saw that his the desire to save souls in him is like fire. Fire that is burning. He must save the world. He can, it bothers him very much to see Persian people drive on a car for Shabbat, coming to shul on Shabbat. He, he couldn't see these things. Because he's already know the truth. He saw all the, all the proofs. Not only he became a tzaddik, became a ben Torah with all his friends, Baruch Hashem, I spent Shabbat with them, beautiful Shabbatot in a kolel here in Beverly Hills. He decided to do something. He took a lot of the things from my books and from other good books and made Baruch Hashem a collection. This is probably the best book ever been written in the history of the world to prove there is a God, the Torah is 100% divine, the oral Torah is 100% divine. There's no doubt whatsoever life begins in a time of death. Anyone who would read it that has scientific mind will get the shock of his life. You have, you have many of them right here. Don't live without it. Indisputable truth. It's a piece of art. Good collection. In my book, there is a lot of the proofs here that he took from there. But in my books, you have also something else. I have not that many. Maybe I brought 20 with me here. In my book, you have also miracles that happened in the last 20-something years that the chance for them to happen is more than one to a billion. You see miracles that happen, you have no doubt that it was the hand of God because otherwise in no way in the world that something like this can happen. I give you one example. I was invited to speak to, in London, the place of all the liberal reform Jews. They're, I'm the last person they want there, you know. <laughs> you know. But the first time, I went there. Second time, they already made problems. I decided not to go. But the first time, there were a few wicked people who tried to cancel my trip. I was supposed to speak in four places. Arrive Friday, leave Monday. Within Friday to, to Sunday night, I have four lectures. They put pressure on the places, don't let him speak. One place got scared. He said, maybe it's better not to do it. Okay, so we have three more. So, okay. In the meantime, people heard the noise. We started to get phone calls. Can we do by us? Can we do by us? All of a sudden, I have ten lectures. With Overnight. Yesterday we went down from four to three. The next morning, the guy calls me up. You're not going to believe it. Everyone heard there's a lot of noise. They're curious to see who you are. So I have ten locations. One of them is the place that canceled yesterday. They feel bad now. I gave their place to someone else. They want to do a breakfast in a shul on Sunday morning. And the guy say, as an apology... It will pay for all the 4,000 CDs that you bring. It was $1 each. It will cover all the cost of the CDs. CDs were very popular back then. You know? So what could be better than that? In one, you kill two birds with one stone. Baruch Hashem, everything worked out. So I have 10 lectures now. Top. My flight is on Thursday night. 
Thursday evening, I'm landing in London Friday morning. I'm driving to my flight, I think it was 6.30 in the evening. Listen to this, Rabotai, this story, the chance that it will happen random, it doesn't exist, doesn't exist. You see the hand of God. I drive to JFK from Monsi. Without traffic, it's an hour and a half. With traffic, it can be two and a half hours. Massive traffic. Yo, how can it be? I'm not moving. Accident, this, that. I call the guy, offer. I don't know if I'm going to make the flight. After two weeks of headaches with all the liberals, I say to myself, what a nightmare. Finally, we overcame all these liberal haters, and now in the end, I'm going to miss the flight. That's it. Ten lectures will be canceled. Say, Yo, how can it be such thing? I said to him, Ofer, I don't know if I'm going to miss it. Oh, I forgot to tell you, they canceled your flight. I said, what do you mean they canceled my flight? No, oh, don't worry, they put you on another flight. See, Yo, I'm so lucky, maybe it's later. I said, what time is this? It's half an hour earlier. <laughs> That's it. You killed me now. Half an hour earlier? No chance whatsoever. Usually I park the car in the long term, take the train, and get on the flight. But it takes time. I said, Tov, you know what? There's no time for long-term parking. I have to park in the terminal. I don't know, almost $100 a day for a few days. There's no other way. I come, I park the car across the street. I run with the two suitcases. I walked into the terminal. What do I see? More than 50 people waiting online with suitcases to the airline, British Airways, I believe it was. I said, wow, the flight is in less than an hour. I have to wait here probably an hour, then security. That's it, I missed the flight. I'm thinking what to do. Maybe I would leave the suitcases here. Whatever happened, happened. We lose $4,000, what can I do? Then I'm thinking to myself, well, what's the point of going to England without the 4,000 CDs? People don't become righteous overnight. They need backup, follow-up. I said, what's the point? Without the city, there's no point of going. I'm standing like this, depressed. I feel like my world is finished. I'm much like this. I stand over there. So what am I going to do? What should I do? The elevator opened up. A policeman came out. Mustache, earring. Goy. Goy name, Italian name. Comes out, comes to me. Rabbi, where are you heading to? <laughs> okay, you know me? Of course. I say, I have to go to London, but I don't see how I'm going to make it. My flight is in less than an hour, and look at the line here. Rabbi, <laughs> what do you have me for? I'm, I'm almost fainting. I said, well, what is going on here? It cannot be. Follow me. Open the rope. Follow me. There's an Indian guy working for the airline. Please check him in quickly. Rabbi, I'm waiting for you right there. When you're done, you don't have to go through security. I'll take you where the prime ministers go. <laughs> now, remember, Rabotai, you know how much overweight I have? Do you know what it means, 2,000 CDs in a suitcase? It's not 50 pounds. It's probably 90 pounds in suitcase. It's probably over $1,000 overweight there. Do you know how the weight of the suitcases? I cannot pick it up. I had to kill myself to pick it up to the right. The guy didn't look. Tick, tick, tick it, put it in, he went in. I go over there, I open the rope, I say, wow, it's such a miracle. You don't know what just happened. Can I take a picture with you? He said, no, we're not allowed to take pictures. 
I said, so I would like you to write your name. I would start my lecture by thanking you. You have it on video. Well, I'm thanking him and telling the stories and all the people in London are clapping. So I said to him, okay, at least I'm going to say thank you for the miracle that happens with you. He said to me, you know, you're really lucky because tomorrow is my last day here. I'm moving to Atlanta airport. It's my last day here today. Tomorrow I'm gone, that's it. Then I started to think to myself, maybe it was Eliyahu Navi, who knows. Ah, all of a sudden, this guy came out of the elevator. Policeman, hearing, mustache, like this. Unbelievable, Rabotai. What's the odds? There was only one way in the world to get on that flight, to have such a miracle. No other way. What are you going to do? It's 50 people waiting online. He finished. This whole trip became a, such a success. So many Nubale Tshuva, until today I'm in touch with them. Some of them already married with children in yeshivot. Do you know what success this trip has? So going back to what we started with. When someone does not agree to be naive and to believe what the rabbis say, I admire him. As long as he's not a faker. Some people just looking for excuses. I'll give you an example. I had to learn, I had to learn uh, body language because I found that body language, when I speak to a person, I read him right away in less than 10 seconds. So right, when I know what he's thinking about, it's much easier for me to address the issue. So from the way people behave, I know if they believe me, don't believe me, suspect, don't suspect. They are influenced, they are not influenced, they love religion, they hate religion, they enjoy the lecture, they're losing their patience. I see it from the way people sit, by the way they move, by the way they move on the chair. So now I'm sitting in yeshiva, I'm teaching Marat to a group of guys in yeshiva. One of the Bachurim say, my friend came to visit me. Yeshiva of Israelis. My friend came to visit me. This is the only time in his life that he will have an opportunity to speak to someone to prove to him that Torah is divine. Are you willing to sit with him now one-on-one -on -one for an hour while he's, came, while he's here? He's never going to come to synagogue or yeshiva. It's very much anti-religion. I say to him, we're in the middle of a shiur, and plus there's so much noise in yeshiva from the gemara. This secular guy is not going to keep the head now with this noise to listen to me. He's going to be shocked from the noise. He said to me, so maybe outside in a car. Maybe outside. I say, you know what? We have to save that Jew, whoever it is. So okay, outside. Let's go in my car. I go, I sit with my, in my car. For two hours, I give him one proof after the other. After already 15 minutes, I already saw that he knows 100% everything I proved to him is real. But he's a faker. He doesn't admit. The ego. He continued to argue, continue. Two hours, I'm dripping sweat there. After two hours, I say to him, okay, let's conclude. Did I convince you that the Torah is divine? He said, not only you didn't convince me, now I'm sure that it's a waste of time. And I see that he's lying from his body language. So I say to him, really? Say yes. I say, okay, you know what? I have the Torah here. 
Just I want you to hold it. I will say a few words, repeat after me, and I'll let you go. Do you mind? Say, okay. Hold the, hold the Torah. Hamisha Chumshet Torah. He's holding the Torah, the Chumash. I say to him, say, repeat after me, in the name of the writer of this book. In the name of the writer of this book. May all the punishments and all the curses that he wrote against people that don't listen to him will come on you. Say amen. <laughs> he looks at me. He was shocked, completely shocked. Ma? It's all in Hebrew. Ma? Kilalta oti achshav? You just cursed me? He said, no. I'm not cursing you. Who, I, who am I? He said that this book is nothing, right? For you, it's toilet paper. So I say, in the name of the writer of this book, all the punishments and the curses that he writes to people that don't keep Shabbat, don't eat kosher, may come on you. Say amen. What do you care? No. Lo yagin amen. I say, why not? If Arab would come to me and give me the Quran and say in the name of the writer of the Quran, well, all the curses of the Quran will come of you because you don't believe in Muhammad. I would scream amen. So say amen. And lo yagid amen. Tagid amen. Lo yagid amen. Like this, going back and forth for a minute. Guess what happened next? After five, six times? Say amen. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Boom. Out of nowhere, I started to cry. I got the shock of my life. I will cry. Started to shake, to cry. Say, Alita alai. You got me. I say, yes, after 10 minutes. <laughs> I saw. I said, why are you making me sweat for nothing? That's why I say to sometimes to people, I say, he said, Rabbi, my father doesn't want to hear about religion. He's very angry that I became Shomer Shabbat. What should I do? I say, bring him to me. He said, no, he doesn't want to hear your name. <laughs> why? He said, you made me a brainwash. So I say, of course, he's right. Tell him I had to clean all the dirt that he put in your head for 20 years. We had to clean all the garbage and all the heresy that he puts inside. So anyway, so he said, no, he doesn't want to talk to you. I say, okay, make him watch my film, Torah and Science. Ma! It's a four-hour seminar. You think he's going to sit four hours to watch? I say to him, play it and leave. I, in the beginning, I say, watch it with him. He said, no, he won't agree. I say, just play it and leave. Why should I leave? Why should I leave? He said, because if you are there on purpose, he will resist. Ego. It's all about ego. Once you leave, you get curious. What is this annoying rabbi has to say? Once he's going to listen 10, 15 minutes, that's it, he's in. If he's normal, after two, three proofs, that's it. End of story. Once you watch the proofs, and you have many of them here, you can never ever live the same kind of life you live in because you know one million percent the, quant the consequences of your choices will bury you. That's the truth, you have to know it. And just when a doctor warns you about something that you do and warn you that you're going to have to go through a very horrible, massive surgery that can change your entire life, you're scared because you know the doctor knows what he's talking about. Same thing I'm telling you here tonight. Don't waste time. 
We are here for a purpose. The creator of the world put us here, gave us the Torah. He chose us. The world has the Jewish people that received the Torah. It's written in a book. I chose you thanks to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your fathers. I made a covenant with them. I swore to them that I will never replace with children with any other nation. I, no matter how much you get me angry with your sins and your uh, rebelling against me, your revolt, no matter what, I will never replace you with anyone. I will punish you severely. Only few of you will survive, but I will never wipe you out from the face of the earth because I must keep you around because I... I made a promise to Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Thanks to that, you will never be erased. And I will never replace you with any other nation. That's, by the way, this verse already disqualifies Christianity and Islam and any other religion right away. Because the Muslims say, yes, God chose the Jews, He gave them the Torah, they had prophets, we admire the prophets, we speak about the Jewish prophets all the time, but the Jews messed up. And now they are not what they used to be, but it's against what's written. The Torah says, no matter how bad you are, no matter how severely I'm going to punish you, one thing I promise, I will never replace you with any other nation. It's a clear verse. I will never be so disgusted by them to a point that I will have to erase them. I can never do it. Why? Because I made a covenant with Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Therefore, all the claims that nations made later on are all nonsense. It's against, 100% against the Torah. The, the Muslims have a very interesting claim. You tell me if it's smart or stupid. They say that the Jews modified the Torah that the truth person that Abraham take, took to the Moriah mountain for the Akedat Yitzchak, it wasn't Akedat Yitzchak. It was Akedat Ishmael. That it was really Ishmael, but the Jews fake, forged the Torah. They modified the Torah. And because of that, that they actually, now it made Ishmael not important, and Yitzchak is very important. Smart or stupid claim? Speak with proofs, not by feelings. I want solid proofs. Smart or stupid claim? Smart. Smart. Stupid. Okay. Let's hear why smart, and then we'll hear why stupid. If, if you don't say that for them, then you are saying we're nothing. And no one's going to believe Muhammad later on in history. No, but when we say smart or stupid, meaning can you back it up with proofs, or you just make up another one of their lies? They're very good when making up all kinds of stories. Question is, can they back it up or no? Smart or stupid? What do you say? The whole thing is a lie, so it's easy for them to lie. So it's smart, it's a smart lie. So you say that because it creates already reasonable doubt, it's smart. That's what lawyers do. I agree with what you say, but I also disagree. First, I will explain why I agree. I'll tell you why I agree. One time, there was one guy that is now 
blamed to be a murderer. He has a trial. He is the defendant. His Jewish lawyer is a very clever guy. After all the evidence against his client was very, very strong and powerful. If it's possible, uh, I'm sorry, if it's possible to take the baby out, please. Let's distract the people. They keep looking there. So the, the lawyer said to the judge, the lawyer said to the judge, after they made all their case, mamash, witnesses, videos, uh, all kinds of emails, that's it. There was no doubt that this guy is the, is the murderer. Now the jury is about to go inside the room and reach a verdict. The lawyer, the Jewish lawyer said to the judge, Your Honor, everyone that sits here in this room is about to get the shock of his life in 10 minutes. 10 minutes, that's all I need from you. The judge said, why? He said, the real murderer is about to enter the door in exactly 10 minutes. He's on the way here. Once he comes in and confesses to you how he committed the murder, you're all going to see how in few minutes you are about to send my clients to death or to life in prison. And he's a totally innocent man. All I need is 10 minutes. It's now 3 p.m. Give me until 3.11. The judge said, okay, we'll sit and wait 10 minutes. Everyone looks at the door. Everyone waiting, 9 Eight, seven, everyone nervous, people whispering, talking. One, zero. What happened? No one showed up. The judge looked at the Jewish lawyer and said, tell me, you came to play games with me? You think I have time for your nonsense? The lawyer said to the judge, dear judge, I just proved to you that every one of the jury here has a serious doubt if my client is the murderer or not. If they did not have a doubt, why they were sitting anxiously looking at the door waiting for the real murderer? And the, the laws in the United States say that you cannot convict a person that you have reasonable doubt about his guilt. The judge was shocked. Nobody ever pulled such a trick on him. The jury is quiet in the courtroom. The judge said to the jury, okay, now when you saw whatever happens, please go to the room and reach the, a verdict. They went to the room. 20 minutes later, they came out. That's a good sign or a bad sign? After such a thing, you would think that that's it. The jury disqualified the trial after what just happened. But it can also be a bad sign that they still insist to convict a person. But how? How can you be such a hypocrite? You yourself just proved that you believe that someone else will come to the door. Now you're going to send the person that you're not sure 100%? One woman in the jury convinced everyone that this guy is 100% the murderer. How did she do it? Because, because she said, when all of you looked at the door, I looked at the defendant. Everyone looked at the door except him. He did not look at the door, because he know exactly there's nobody come. He's the murderer. If he would also look at the door waiting, I would have a doubt. 
But because he never looked at the door, I know 100% that all the evidence we got is solid. Right away they were all convinced, found him guilty, finished. So if this fool would look at the door, like this, he would go free for life. But because he didn't look, they found him in the end guilty. So the same thing over here. Once the Arabs say such a claim, it's enough to create reasonable doubt to more than a billion Muslims. Anyway, that's what they want to believe, right? So here we go. We believe that Ishmael was supposed to be in Akedah and the Jews changed it. They made up their mind. They don't want to be confused with the facts. Okay, that's also true. Now let's see what you say, why it's stupid. Tell me why. No, but the, the Arabs will tell you one Jew changed it, and now since then, everyone copied the, the lie. We keep a very strong uh, tradition. It has to be every letter, every word. We know that, that that's how it came. It wasn't just one guy on a mountain had a view. It's Your answer is correct, but I have to elaborate a little more. Yes. No, no, that was this with Yitzhak and Avimelech. That, uh, you know, that... Uh, uh, oh, you're talking about the pregnancy of Sarah, that she became pregnant? It says that... Uh, meaning that Avraham... But Hashem made Yitzhak look exactly like Avraham. So once you see that the father and the son has the same exact face, how you continue to claim that she became pregnant from a non-Jewish king? The answer is, listen carefully, the answer is people that are fakers, it's that 99% of the people in the world, they do not care what the fact says. They first make up their mind, like he said here, and then twist the facts to match what their desires say to do. That's not my opinion. That's written in the Talmud. The Gemara says, listen carefully. The Gemara says, how is it possible that thousands of Jews decided to go and worship the golden calf? <laughs> Are you out of your mind? Just 40 days ago, you stood in Mount Sinai, you heard the voice of God speaking to all of you, and you heard that Hashem is speaking to Moshe. He went up to the mountain. He comes back after 40 days and he see they're dancing around the golden calf. What, you out of your mind? A month and 10 days ago, you heard the voice of God speaking to you. I took you out of Egypt. The first two commandments. Ani Hashem Elokechem, Hashem Rotzeti Yedchem Eretz Mitzrayim. Lo Yelachem Elokim Achem. They saw Muhammad Arzinai. They saw the mountain is shaking, fire, voice of a shofar. How they forgot all of that? Now they see a golden calf. They dance. Persian party. <laughs> Persian party. Bring some Muslim singer from Iran. He comes, he sings with the violin. Everyone is happy. Mazepo. 
What's going on here? Ma, you forgot what you saw in Mount Sinai? Doesn't make sense, right? People like us, we didn't see the exodus of Egypt. We didn't hear the voice of God, not in this reincarnation. And we won't dance around a stupid, uh, a, 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 a stupid golden calf. If someone will make a golden calf and say, come on, the people of Beverly Hills, we invite you to dance around the new God. So like, get out of here, you know, you're not normal. Anybody here would come to clap and dance around the golden calf. This is the God of Israel. You hear the question or no? It's a fact that it happened. It's written in the Torah. How many people died because of that? 3,000 people. Moshe executed them. Moshe. Moshe wasn't a liberal Jew. Give the murderers plasma TV and peanut butter and sheshbesh. <laughs> and a degree on the Hebrew University. We will pay the Ahmed to become a mass murderer and have a degree. We'll teach him English that he can kill us on the BBC or CNN. They were not that dumb back then, the leaders. Three people are tra- 3,000 people are traders. Clean them up. Now the question is, how did it happen? The Gemara say, Lo bikshu la'avod avod azara Ela kedei la'atir la'em et ha'arayot Do you know why they dance around the golden calf? Not one of them believed this nonsense. The reason they did it, because they were dying to go and have relationship with the non-Jewish pretty girls. Bnot Moav. Bnot Moav in a desert, they had like a flea market. They sell silk, expensive silk. The good silk, the Gemara say, they put inside the tent. The cheap silk, they put outside. The Jew come, hi. How are you, Christina? Nice to meet you. Uh, how much is the silk? Uh, this one is only $50 for this scarf. But if you come with me inside, I have the special stuff. Oh, she looks amazing. Very pretty girls. So, okay, show me inside. He comes inside. You see, the scarf is $1,000. It's expensive silk. But you can have it as a gift. Don't you like me? I have another room inside. Come, drink with me wine. I don't have to tell you a few glasses of wine. What happened next? This is exactly what happened. But before he was about to commit the sin with her, she said, no, but you have to first bow down to my God. Otherwise, you're not loyal to me. I need you all the way with me, just like the Arabs. He takes a Jewish girl. Let's get married. Of course. No, but you have to convert to Islam. Now one Arab will marry a Jew without converting to Islam. No such thing. Jews marry anyone, not in a, not in a religious wedding. Let her stay whatever she is. It doesn't bother this Israeli guy. But there's not one Arab will agree to marry a Jewish girl if she stays Jewish. There's no such thing. You're embarrassing me. You must become Muslim. So what happened? They started to commit sins with the girls. How many of them committed sins with the girls? 24,000 guys. And all of them died. And there was a pandemic right after that. 24,000 guys because of that. The Gemara said their dancing around the golden calf was just an excuse. 
The reason we did it is because we wanted to go and commit sins with the non-Jewish pretty girls. Now please tell me, what's the connection? What's the connection? You can say that they wanted to do and, and, and have a, a, commit a sin with a non-Jewish girl. That's it. It's enough. But what's the connection between this and dancing around the, the statue and claiming this is my God? I'll tell you the secret. You know, everything we do in life all comes from the subconscious. Most of the choices we make, we think, comes from the conscious, but it's wrong. Almost everything comes from your subconscious. For instance, if you go to an office, they want to sell you something. Sales office. If the walls will be black, you won't buy. Or dark gray, you won't buy. But if it will be light blue, you will be very, very relaxed, very calm, and the chance to sell to you is a lot higher. The color of the walls can affect the choice that you make if to buy or not to buy. But I'll give you an example. There's one guy in Israel, they call him Aman Achushim. You All of you know him, even though you're not Israelis. His name is Nimrod. Calling your son Nimrod is similar to calling your son Adolf. But his parents probably didn't know Torah. They didn't know who Nimrod was. Nimrod was the Hitler of those days. So they called them son Nimrod. Nimrod means let's rebel against God. That's what it means. Nimrod, married. But I give his parents the benefits of the doubt. They just like the name. They didn't know what it means. This guy is a magician. He can read your mind. He can do all kinds of things. How do you know him? He's the presenter of Elal. When you go in Elal, they show you how to buckle your seat and all that. This guy with the cards. And what about the card? That's the guy. You saw him, no? On the Elal commercial. When you go on before a takeoff. Leo? Mizenimodas? Tov. Anyway, listen carefully what happened with him. One time he says, Rabotai, Rabotai, I'm going to tell you to choose a number now. Choose a number. No. When we come back from the commercial, I will tell you the number you chose. This is a million people now watching it. Now everybody will choose the same number. How can he tell the number? I'm thinking to myself, what's this trick here? Let me choose a number. What number I chose? 23. He comes back from the commercial. And now the number that you chose is 23. Ma? Wow, this guy knows his stuff. Started to shake a little bit. We have a new prophet. We didn't know since Muhammad 1300 years there was a strike on prophets. Baruch Hashem, we have a new one. <laughs> she says his name is not Nimrod, Lior. So we have to apologize to his parents. Lior Sushard. Now, I thought his name is Nimrod. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> there's somebody else Nimrod that is also a magician. But okay, I get confused, I guess. Anyway, listen carefully. This Lior. <laughs> He knew the number I chose. And probably everybody else chose the same number. 
Now we say, you're probably all wondering, how did I read your mind? This time I'm willing to teach you the trick. Now he shows in a slow motion. When I ask you, choose a number, now he was standing in the street of Tel Aviv and hundreds of people crossing the street behind him. And just when he say, choose a number, now, that second, now, a guy behind him with a t-shirt of Michael Jordan, number 23, just quickly passed, very fast, walks across the street. And he went into the subconscious. I didn't pay attention to the guys behind him. I was focusing on him. Now I have to choose a number. Which number I chose? The number he pushed into my subconscious. That trick is the secret of life. Every day you have millions of things like this that are pushed into your subconscious without you realizing it. The people at your job, the people at your work, the neighbors, the things you hear on the street, a movie you watch. Do you know how many things it sends to your subconscious? I'll give you an example. Today, almost every person who comes to cry to me about his problems have the same issue. I'll give you one guess. What's your problem? Yeshli? Who knows? I have... Anxiety attack, panic attacks, anxiety attacks. Uh, some of you already know what I'm talking about. Almost every problem, anxiety attacks. For the Rav, I'm sweating in my hands. I don't sleep at night. My pulse go very fast. I sometimes feel I get a heart attack. I'm out of breath, right? You know what I'm talking about. How come so many millions of people have it? When I was a child, I never heard about it. Not one person we ever heard that has a panic attack. When I was a child, out of 100,000 people in Israel, maybe you had one gay. Today it's almost three, three, a third, almost a third. How come one gay and now all of a sudden you're from 100,000, you have maybe 30,000 gays? How can it be? The answer is it depends what they push into your mouth, your mind. If they constantly push it, push it, push it, it settles in the back of your mind. It changed the entire world, the way you think. It changed what you desire. It changed what you like and hate. It changed your beliefs. It changed everything about you. They re-modified your complete personality. That's called a silent brainwash. They brainwash you in such a way you don't pay attention. They push it in the commercials. They push it in the movies. They push it in all kinds of signs that you see on the street. In schools, they constantly push it to the children to become gay and admire the gays. And if you're not one of them, you're not normal and you're not open-minded. That's all they do. That's all they do. When I was a child, it was the exact opposite. We did not grow up religious. Do you know what they did? If someone was gay in my school, there were 400 students and one guy was gay. And now one student there was religious. Everyone was secular. Chilonim, kulam. This guy had the biggest hell on earth in school. Do you know what he had to go through in school? It would break the heart what the students did to him. Pull his hair. Kick him. Get out of here. Don't come near me. Nobody wants to sit next to him in a class. 
The teacher said, Moshe, sit next to him. You sit next to him. I'm going to kick you out. Kick me out. I'm not coming back to school. Nobody wanted to come near him. Every secular kid in Israel saw that it's a mental disease. I don't want anything to do with this. I'm not sitting next to him. I'm not talking to him. I'm not shaking his hands. I'm not doing anything. Today is the exact opposite. Today most of the kids in the class are like this. And nobody thinks there's anything wrong. So what changed in 40 years? It's only one generation. The constant brainwash that it's fine, there's nothing wrong with that, that people would go against the law of nature, against the rules of God, against the Creator. Nothing is wrong with us. You must accept everyone. It's perfectly normal. You are not normal. If you don't accept something like this, that means you are wicked. You are primitive. Go back to Iran. We don't want you here. You're not a liberal. We don't want you in our society. So now even people that despite that are afraid to talk. One guy came to me and said, Rabbi, I also voted Trump, but don't say it here. I said, why are you so nervous? If they find out I voted Trump, no one will talk to me here in the, in the college. So keep it quiet. But I, I'm, I'm also, I'm Republican, I'm not Democrat. But he's afraid. He's afraid. Why? If they find out he voted Republicans, he's finished. Why the massive brainwash propaganda? If you're not like us, we, you have no right to exist. If we really had democracy, everyone vote for what he wants. We accept you, we accept you. Everyone is freedom of speech, freedom of belief, freedom. It's, that's what, what it's all about. That's only if you're lefty. If you're righty, you have no right to talk. By the way, did you ever see righties demonstrate to cancel a lecture of a lefty? It never happened. But every time a righty comes to talk, they always make sure the lecture will not take place. They threaten, they call the police, gonna put a bomb there, we will stand by the door, we will demonstrate. What's going on here? They're willing to die for the cause. Because from a very young age, this massive propaganda machine, this is how it works in Israel, in Europe. But in Arab countries, you don't have it. In Moscow, you don't have it. In Russia, it's against the law. In some other countries, like China and other places, if you show two kids kiss each other in a cartoon, you'll get the death penalty there. They'll execute you. In Singapore, if you smoke grass, they'll execute you. As soon as you land in Singapore, they say, welcome to the land that for using drugs or selling drugs, you're going to get the death penalty. That's the welcome to Singapore. Right away, they push it in your face. Don't mess with us. You're going to touch drugs here, you'll be dead. Why? We do not want to corrupt our country like United States or Israel or Europe. We want to defend our children. When I was in China, I couldn't get into YouTube. You couldn't get into WhatsApp. They block you. You have to get a VPN. They have all kinds of tricks. People learn the tricks. But when I crossed the border to Hong Kong, the guy said to me, delete, delete the VPN. If by mistake they check your phone, you can go to jail, who knows if we ever see you again. It's a very big crime if you have access to YouTube or WhatsApp. Why? The Chinese people that are not Jewish, they don't have Torah from Hashem. They worry about the souls of their children. They don't want them to see that. The Arabs that sponsor all the terror in the world, in Qatar, in uh, Saudi Arabia, they don't want their children to see these things. Most of the movies here, they modified. They cut all kinds of not-mother scenes. Some movies are disqualified. 
Some goyim are a million times more modest than us, the chosen people. How can it not break the heart? You come to a wedding of secular people here in, in L.A., how women dress, how cheap the whole event becomes. Much like a disco club in Manhattan, in a bar. That's how it looks, the wedding. No holiness whatsoever. The kala comes with no clothes. Everybody there, people, nobody cares about God, no brachot, no nothing, terrible music, everyone junk, drunk. This is what the chosen people became. You bring some Arabs from Saudi Arabia and they see it, they would want to vomit. You bring some goyim from even India, people that bow down to the cow. You tell them, look at the Jewish party. You know Hamas? You saw what Hamas is, right? Pure Nazis. The Hamas one time had a wedding in Gaza. Boys dance in one place, women dance in another place. Not together, not mixed dancing. But they were jumping. Music, a lot of... uh, So the men jumping in one place and the women jumping over there, not together. Five jeeps came, killed everyone. Yeah. Why? You corrupt the place with this music, with this behavior. (laughs) These monster Nazis, they are angry that you make not modest dancing, which is not religious enough. Don't get me wrong. I'm totally against what they did. But in Saudi Arabia, they put mines under the sand. They heard that some women go there quietly with bathing suit. They went crazy. Say, if they're going to come like this, not modest, we rather them not, not leave. What they do is terrible. You're not allowed to kill people. We don't have executions for 2,000 years. You don't execute Mechalalei Shabbat. You don't execute gays. You don't execute married women who cheated. You don't do these things. Why? There's no Sanhedrin. 2,000 years, there is no executions. No one is allowed to execute any sinner. You can come to someone and say, you deserve to die according to the Torah. If you kill him, you are a murderer. Let's make this clear. You killed him, you're a murderer. If there was Sanhedrin today, they would execute you. You have to bring him to court, they have to check the evidence, they have to give him a warning, as a whole process. But even though there's no executions, we, as people that have some intelligence, we read in the Torah what God thinks about these people. That's enough. One Michalel Shabbat in Israel say to me, I don't understand, that's a contradiction here. You speak very strong against Chilul Shabbat. You read in the Torah that is death penalty by stoning. By stoning. You read in the Torah that is a permanent cut for the soul. It's clear verse. You just read it. And then you say that not even once in 70 years they ever executed a Michalel Shabbat in a Sanhedrin. So what is the point of giving all these warnings in the Torah? Why God wrote it? Because he wanted the people not to dare to be Michalel Shabbat. That's why he gave such a horrible punishment for the people to get scared. If the purpose is to make the people scared, like most punishments, and you never execute anyone, the people will catch the scam. They will see that anyway nobody dies, and they'll do whatever they want. So what is the point? If the point of executing people is revenge, not to threaten people not to do something, it's because they did it, now we're going to teach them a lesson, 
So you have to do it at least once in a while for people to see. But you're not doing either way. It's a good question, no? But the answer is even better. What's the answer? I say to him, you're right. Once in seven years, the Gemara say, if you were a very tough Sanhedrin, the court of Israel, 71 judges, a cruel one executed a person once in seven years. It's all basically once in three generations, almost never. A merciful judgment would be, who knows, maybe once in 200 years. Basically never. So what is the point? Writing all these punishments and threats in the Torah, and in the end nobody will get it? What is the point? Good question, no? The answer is, I told the guy, and Baruch Hashem, he became religious on the spot after my answer. Became Shomer Shabbat. I say to him, look, you and I know that you do a lot of people, Mechalel Shabbat, they're not dead, they drive every Shabbat, they do whatever they want, they smoke. According to the Torah, it's death penalty. And they live to 80, 90, sometimes even 100. He said, oh, absolutely, that makes my question even stronger. I say to him, but if you have a decent heart, you believe in God, you know there is a creator to the world. And I already proved to you that the Torah is divine. You watch my film, Torah and Science, you saw so many proofs. You know it. When you read in the book of God that someone who break the covenant between God and the Jewish nation, which is the Sabbath, deserve to be killed in the most brutal way and that his soul will be cut permanently from the afterlife. And you look at yourself in a mirror. How can you live with yourself? Yes, no one will touch you. No one will blow up your head with rocks. No one will kill you. You will be free forever. No one will ever touch you. Now one scratch will happen to you. But now you just read that God say that you, Moshe, Yitzchak, Avram, Yosef, you deserve to be killed in the worst possible way, even worse than the way they execute murderers. It doesn't bother you that that's what God thinks about you? He said to me, you shocked me now. I feel my blood is frozen. All I did is help him to think. Not all his life, he never thought about it. You wait for the punishment, if it will happen or not? The fact that the creator of the world writes about you, that that's what you deserve to get, that should have been already a red light a long, long time ago in your life. To wake you up, never to dare to break Shabbat. I say, you're right, 100%. Even if Hashem say to me, listen, I'm not going to touch you. This is what you deserve to get, but I don't touch you. I already will die from shame. Die from shame. You know what? Forget Hashem. Even Baba Sali. You know Baba Sali? You heard about him? He was a very holy Moroccan rabbi. Extremely holy. Beyond words. If Baba Sali would say to me, My son, you, you mechalel Shabbat? You mechalel Shabbat? You rebel against Hashem every week? Hashem gives you oxygen, gives you food, gives you a place to live, gives you millions of dollars. You have a beautiful home in Los Angeles, two cars, three cars. You marry your children, you have everything you want, you are healthy. And you use what Hashem gives you to fight against Him? Baba Sali will tell me that, I will get a heart attack. 
I would hide for two years in the closet. Today people come out of the closet, I will go into the closet. <laughs> you get the point or no? So let's go back to the subconscious. Now I'm going to prove to you whatever they do with the subconscious, it's a verse in the Torah. The Torah says, don't look at Baal Peor. There was a place of idol worshipping of the Goim. The Goim have a big statue. The name of that statue is Baal Peor. What does it mean, Peor? When you open something and let the garbage go out. What is the garbage? What's inside the stomach when you go to the bathroom? The Goim would dump whatever they dump and run and throw it to the face of that statue, which they believe that that's represent their God. Who would do something so stupid? <laughs> if you want to worship the God, you bow down, you put flowers, you pray, you sing, you do something to the statue. What is this? You dump the waste of the bathroom to his face? Come on. I don't think the Goyim of today will do such thing. But that's what happened in the time of the exodus of Egypt. That's question number one. Why would the Goyim do such a stupid thing? Second, why does God care that we don't look at it? Why do you care if I look at it? If I look at it, I want to vomit. I'll be so disgusted that if I ever thought to worship that stupid idol worshiping thing, I will never come to the area just because of the smell and the disgusting atmosphere over there. So it's good that I see it. That would make you me run away to the other side of the street or the other side of the town. No? Why the Torah say don't dare to look at them when they do it? You hear the two questions or no? The answer is, Rabotai, what was this idol worshipping of the Goim? This kind of idol worshipping was we will run the show. No God will tell us what to do. This is what we think about religion. This is the God, and this is what we're going to dump in his face. Same thing they did in the Babylonian tower. Remember in the Torah, there was a, they built a tower to go fight against God. What, are you normal? Who can go fight against God? <laughs> I'm building a building in Manhattan. It has to be three times bigger than the Twin Towers. Why? Because I want to go up to the sky and start a war against God. You put you in a mental institution. Quickly, Dr. Eisenberg, I have a client for you. It's urgent. Why? He just said, you want to build a building to go fight against God. Come on. You think the, the people in the Babylonian Tower were so stupid? Who thinks he can go and fight God? The answer here is what it symbolizes that everyone will see this big tower. What is this tower? We declared a war against the laws of nature. We don't want male and female. We want men and men. We want people with animals. You don't tell us what to do. We make the rules. That's what it means. Why does Hashem care that we don't look at it? Listen carefully. When I will show you right now the most disgusting thing that make you vomit. Ugh. Can't look at it. You right now are really disgusted. You hurt. You hurt from what you just saw. 
This is your conscious. What about your subconscious? It planted the seed in the back of your mind without you realizing it. Slowly, slowly, that seed begins to bloom until one day you feel a desire to go there. This is why the Torah says, don't look at it. What you're looking at it, plant a seed in the back of your mind and give you the desire one day to go and do it. Why everyone gets today panic attack and anxiety attack? Because all day they watch violent movies. People shooting each other, chopping their heads off, burning people alive, throwing someone from the 10th floor, cars hitting people, like bombs, bridges falling, buildings are collapsing, nuclear bomb falling on a city. Now when Hashem made the human being, He gave him a computer in the head. The computer sometimes work in a stress time, stressful time, time of a war, time of a tragedy. It sends certain orders to the body how to react, to make a person alert that his life is in danger. The problem with this computer and this sensor that they don't know to tell the difference between reality and fiction. Once you see someone chopping someone's head off in reality, it gives you right away all the things you need to run, to hide, to get an adrenaline, you know, to go and save yourself or to save your children. Some people in a time of stress, they were able to pick up a car. I know one person told me the car parked right on my leg. I cannot get, I cannot pull my foot, my foot out. I, I was so panicked. I started to push the, the, the car and I was able to... If you ask him now to move the car, he won't be able to move it. There's adrenaline going into the system, give you five times more strength. In panic mode. Now, because you watch all these things in Hollywood, the brain doesn't know it's only fake, that it's not real. All day you see people dying, people getting raped, people being attacked, people being stabbed... All day your brain gets so much tragedies going in and in and in until the, the system starting to collapse. Then you have fast poles, you're sweating, you can't sleep at night, you cannot function, you cannot run, run your marriage until you ended up sometimes in a mental institution or you need pills. People don't understand. Well, that's what caused the panic attack and anxiety attack and all the nervous breakdown. It also affects the young generation that nobody wants to work. There are people in their 30s sleeping in their parents' house for the rest of their life. They gave up on life. Why? All day they see in the movies these billionaires in Miami castles, Beverly Hills mansions, all this fancy schmancy lifestyle. And they say, what is the point? I went to college, I'm going to make sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year. The heck with life. Let me just live the moment, enjoy whatever I play with my computer until the day I die. You know how many people told me I don't even plan to ever get married? What is the point? I'm going to need millions of dollars. I'm not going to become a slave of society. It gives up on life. How many divorce cases you have? You cannot count. How many single young boys and girls are getting older and older? The numbers is only growing. Society is not going bankrupt, is already bankrupt 10 times in a row. Completely bankrupt. No future for the youth. Almost everyone is a drug addict. 
Almost every American cannot go a day without smoking his grass because other, other than that, he's going to kill someone if he cannot smoke. And people are suffering. I have people that are Shomer Shabbat. Rabbi, wow, what a stress for me is Shabbat. I say, why? He said, I can't. I have to smoke. Ma, but you're not smoking. No, no, my grass, my grass. But don't worry, I found a solution. I have candy. Um, all day like this. Unfortunately, that's, how, that's what we became. When you live and ignore the rules of the creator of the world, that's how you ended up, sooner or later. Look at today, between me and you. There is a group of Jews called Hasidim. I'm not talking about the ones who became modern, who opened up their eyes and have smartphones and, you know, already behaving like everybody else. No. Talking those who still stick into their tradition. See these pure kids, sometimes I see them on the planes. I see them in a synagogue, I see them in yeshiva. Sometimes I go speak by them. Whole different world. There's nothing to compare other kids to this. It's like comparing a monkey to a person. It's nothing to compare. The level of innocence and purity. These people they live in such a beautiful, perfect world. All day Torah and holiness, devotion, connection to Hashem, mikveh every day. Do not commit sins. One day they go on a date, they meet a girl, they don't have trash in their head. They don't compare her to 50,000 mothers that he watched in his lifetimes. He doesn't have the confusion. He doesn't have all the dilemmas. He doesn't have it because the system, his subconscious, never saw that garbage. He didn't see movies. He didn't see YouTube clips. He didn't hear terrible garbage rap music with all the curses. He doesn't walk in the streets of Manhattan and see all the naked people. He doesn't see that. By the time he's 19, 20, he's so pure in his, in his mentality that he's going out on a date and she looked to him the most beautiful thing in the world. Because remember, what we have today, you will never be happy from what you have because you always compare it to everyone around. So you can never be happy. You have the prettiest wife in the world and you're looking, where can I get more? You have an unlimited amount of money, but your neighbor is more rich. His house is bigger. That's already take away the pleasure. Someone is more powerful in a company. You're only the vice president. It doesn't give you rest. There's always going to be something. So these people, when they get married, their divorce rate almost doesn't exist. Less than 1%. Less than 1%. Much less. Today in our society, more than 70% divorce rate. In America, in Israel. Some cities in the world, you have more than 100% divorce rate. How can it be? How can it be more than 100% divorce rate? My, you have 100 couple, all of them got divorced. That's 100%. How can it be more than 100%? Some of them divorced six times, <laughs> four times. It adds to the statistic. 100 couples, they have 140 divorces. Some of them divorced two or three times already. <laughs> the statistics show 150%. What? Yes. So what do you see, Rabotai? We have time. I want to give time for questions and answers before we finish. Let's just conclude. 
Everything is all in the end comes from the subconscious. What you see, enter your head. You never ever delete it from your head. Do you know if I can, I can take each one of you now to a professional parapsychologist to hypnotize you? He will get every detail of your life from now until the moment you were born. Every detail. And he will also do regression to take you back to your past life. Past life experience. Ten years ago, I stood right here on Saturday night, and I gave a lecture about life after death, right here in Netzach Synagogue, Saturday night. And uh, I spoke about life after death and reincarnations. And there was one Jewish doctor sitting in the audience. I, I'm trying to remember his name. He's famous. He's a parapsychologist. He does regressions. He saw a flyer. Rabbi Mizrahi, life after death, past life experience, reincarnation. That's what he does in his clinic. He showed up. He sat here the entire lecture. When I finished, there were a lot of people coming, Rabbi, this, that. And he came with a book similar to this. And he said to me, hi, my name is Dr. If I remember correctly, it was Morton or maybe Eisenberg, something like that, a Jewish name. I came to test what you're going to talk about. This is what I do for a living. I an expert in past life experience. Did you ever hear about me? I said, no, I'm sorry. He said, this is my book. I'm giving it to you as a gift. Okay, thank you. He said, you can go online. Here is my card. You can go into my website. I hypnotize a cabaret singer. A woman singing somewhere in America. Singer, a woman in a club. She sings, cabaret. In the middle of hypnosis, I found out she was Marilyn Monroe in her past life. And I know all the secrets between her and the President Kennedy. <laughs> Even what was not published on the media. He told me that. Because she told me everything that happened in a past life. You can see my regression with her. Everything you said... I am a witness to it, that that's exactly how it works. And I talked about people who remember their past life, and you hypnotize them. It's called regression. People speak in languages they don't know. Imagine I take you now, you're a Persian man, American, whatever you are. I hypnotize you, boom, you speak French now. I show you the video. When I bring you back to conscious, what is this? How can I speak French? I said, not only you speak French, we ask you who you are, where you live. What's your name, Henry? Where do you live, Paris? What's your job? I'm a tailor. Where are you going now? I'm going to pray Mincha. What shul? They say the name of the shul. Some of those shuls are still exist. From 50 years ago, they're still there in Paris. He tells you who he was in his past life. Right now, when he sees himself speaking French, he doesn't, French, he doesn't understand. You have to translate to him what he says. You get information out of his subconscious. Now, I want to tell you something. Right now, you're sitting here almost two hours. I want to ask you a question. Do you know how many details your brain recorded in these two hours tonight here in the room? Who knows how many? Trillions. Trillions of details. You know what it means, trillions of details? 
Now, if I will go 20 years from now, year 2044, and I will hypnotize you in 20 years from now, and I will bring you to today's date here on, uh, on Beverly Hills at, at the night here, and I will ask you every detail in this room. If I will ask you now, after the lecture, when we go out to the street, can you describe to be the Netzach synagogue? You won't be able to give me 10 details. Nice big place, huge, nice chandeliers, screen behind you, some wood places, comfortable chairs, and the lobby, and that's it, right? That's about, that's about what you're going to know. But if I will hypnotize you in 20 years from now, you will be able to tell me every dirt on a rug, every piece of paper here, every scratch in a ceiling, every smoke detector, every tiny detail, this bottle, this, uh, this water, this tissue, this, that, every letter here, everything you'll be able to tell me in details. That's trillions of things. All the, all the design of the ceiling here, look how, what a nice place, this, that, every little thing, the picture, the painting, the names on the wall. In 20 years from now, every detail, you'll be able to tell me who said who. Look how many people here. You will know who said who, what was he wearing, what kind of watch he was, what kind of shoes he has, what kind of pants he has, everything. You would be able to tell me who played with his phone in the middle of the lecture, who was cold, who was hot, who got up and went out, what baby made noise over there. <laughs> in 20 years from now, not only that, one woman in Israel, she was standing in a bus stop with a bag. An old woman, close to 80. Two criminals come with a motorcycle. One is driving, and the other one's supposed to grab her knapsack. As they're coming, she doesn't look at them. She's facing the other side. They come from behind. The guy pulls it. Now she was holding to it, so they're driving around. He's speeding. He pulled it from her hand, and she fell on her face. It pushed her forward, but they grabbed the bag. People called police, the police came. What did you see? Nobody saw anything. It was very fast. Anyone saw the plate number? No. We only can tell you that there were two people. There were, uh, one was wearing black uh, leather jacket, the other one was wearing this. That's all. We didn't see face, nothing. It was too fast. They asked the woman, did you see anything? No. I fell on my face. They take her to the police station in Batyam. They have a special room over there. They bring a parapsychologist to begin to hypnotize her. Before the hypnosis, she can't give one detail about the robbers. Nothing. They hypnotize her. She says the plate number, how they dress, what watch the guy has, everything. Quickly after the police find the people, whoop, they bring the bag, arrest the guys. That's called hypnosis. You go into the subconscious, the subconscious record every beep on the street, every noise the wind makes, every person who screams, every beep, every car who passes by, all the noises, the trucks, this noise during the day from cars, everything is recorded. 200 years later, if you hypnotize a person, you bring him to this date, he will tell you what car just passed next to me and who was sitting over there, what was the plate number, and what music was playing next to it. The amount of information our soul records 
is beyond anything you can imagine. There's no end. There's no 200 gigabytes. <laughs> like my lousy phone. Delete videos. <laughs> There's no room. There is no limit how much the soul can record. You can reincarnate a person to nine past lives. There was one woman, the hypnotizer, they got with her to the year 1800, 900 years ago. And she said that she's hiding in a church in York, the city of York, I think it's in England. She's hiding in a basement of the church because the goyim there looking for Jews to kill them. There's a pogrom. So she's hiding there with her children. In the middle of hypnosis, she described nine past lives. She was already nine times in different bodies. They went to that address. They came to the church. The church is still there. It's a beautiful, ancient, very old church. You know, the Christian used to build very fancy churches. They go to the priest over there. They say, can you show us the basement? What basement? He said, this, this church is supposed to have a basement. How do you know? Who are you? They tell him about the hypnosis. He says, I'm sorry. We never had a basement here. I'm here already 30 years. There's no basement here. He said, no, it cannot be. Everything else she described is exactly like this building. It has to be a basement. They started to check. They found a hidden thing. Nobody knew about it. They pulled it somehow. The wall turned around. Boom. Stairs going to the basement. Hundreds of years, nobody went there. You know, the spider webs all over. They went inside. They saw the basement she described. And many, many things. You can watch my film, Life After Death. I spoke about these things. So this guy came, confirmed everything, hypnotized people. Why they hypnotize people today? They want to go back to the time they had a trauma. They had a woman, she cannot stop eating. She's already 600 pounds. She's about to die. That's it, it's a life risk. She just ate, 20 minutes later, she wants to eat again. I say, well, what's going on with you? It's not desire for food, it's a mental issue. They started to hypnotize her. They found out that in her past life she was on a boat. The boat hit a rock somewhere in the ocean. All the flour bags and the rice, everything became wet. They died from starvation. She died in her past life from hunger. Now she has a short in her brain, in her, in her neshama. She's, in, she's stuck in a stress that she must eat all the time because she's in a panic mode. She's stuck. So how do you fix it? You go back to that day that she died, to that date, and you say to, you reprogram her brain. Look how it is. You, you put new information in the soul. You say to her, don't worry, another boat just came. They brought us flowers. We're going to make hot bread now. Thank God we got saved. Wow, what a delicious bread. You love it? You enjoy it? They put it in her head, and they bring her back to conscious, and that's it. She doesn't eat anymore. Quickly after a month, two months, three months, started to lose tens of pounds. What changed? The trauma was removed from the soul. Look how many traumas our children have from what you show them on TV. Sending them to a public school to brainwash them, to destroy their future. One person once told me, I like usually your lectures, but I'm very angry the way you speak about gays. I say to him, first of all, it's not my opinion. I have nothing against anyone. I just teach Torah. That's my job. I have to teach what's written, not what I like. 
or what you like. My job is to teach Torah. I'm not a reporter. Reporter, they report what they want to report. If something they don't like, they hide it. They don't tell you all the truth. If they are lefties, they're not going to show something against Hamas. If they're pro-Jewish, if the Jews something, do something wrong, they'll hide it also. Everyone has an agenda. I don't go like this. I teach what's right. I gave you an example with the golden calf. Why would the Jews want to worship the golden calf to give them permission to go to make commit sins with the goyot? The answer is, if I look like a Hasid, I have a peot and beard, black coat, and I want to go to commit a sin with a non-Jewish girl. Everyone would look at me like the biggest dirt. You hypocrite, you faker. How do you dare to even walk with the yamaka? Take off your beard, you crook. Right or wrong? If another Jew that is not religious will do it next door, nobody will say anything. Why? From here we don't expect to be righteous. We know how you live. You live according to your desire. But this guy, look at him. He looks like a, like a rabbi. How is he not embarrassed? How the Hasid will go to do the same thing? Slowly, slowly, it will become modern. Cut off the beard, cut off this, hide, get rid of the hat, put a pink yarmulke, move to jeans, after a month we'll make two holes in the knees. What happened to you, Mendel? Who's master? Alice Git, Alice Git, don't worry. Ma, you became Shagetz. No, no, I'm not a Shagetz. What? I'm telling you, I went on a, online, I saw websites, they open up my eyes. What? What? You, t- you believe everything the Gemara say? You naive. Don't believe it. I can show you mistakes. Why give all this speech? He comes to me in five minutes. I criticize, kill everything he shows. It's all nonsense. But why he use this to justify that now he looks not like a Jew? Because how else will he get support for going to do such a sin. If he will dress like a very religious man, people will tell him, you're such a hypocrite, we can look at your face, you're such a faker. So in order for you to have a girlfriend and to walk in the street of Rodeo Drive with the, holding the, the hand of your girlfriend, your yamaka has to be like the Prime Minister Bennett, size of a quarter. Once you have such a yamaka. No one will ask why you walk with holding a hands of a girl that she's not your wife. Even with your wife, it's not modest in public, but forget. Stranger, who, are, who is she? My girlfriend. Ma, you religious? You have a girlfriend? What's going on? Come on, look at my yamaka. Look at my jeans. Once they dance around the golden calf, singing Golesanga against the golden calf, nobody anymore asks why they went to the goyot. Do you understand? That's what the Gemara says. It's not my idea. The Gemara says the whole concept of making the golden calf was leave us alone. We're not so religious with God anymore. We don't want these three gods. We want to be modern Orthodox, conservative, reform. We want to drive to the synagogue with a car, but the Torah says it's a death penalty. Come on, don't be fanatic. We come to pray. Now, I want to marry Christina in a synagogue. Thirteen years later, my son John, that is not Jewish, 
I will have to make him bar mitzvah and he will read in the Torah. Barachu et Hashem Amvorach. He's not Jewish. Why are you making him bar mitzvah? If he's Jewish, you make him bar mitzvah. Why? Why it's a, it's a sad joke that a non-Jewish kid will make a bracha in a Torah? Big deal. So what? Well, it could be goyim that loves Hashem. There's a lot, I know thousands of righteous goyim. Thousands. And by the way, you should know, righteous goy is much better than a wicked Jew. There's no discrimination. A goy that keeps the seven laws of Noah and is a decent person, not a racist, believes in one God, not an idol worshiper, not some Christian idol worshiper, is definitely better than a Jew that is Mechalel Shabbat. You should know it. He goes to heaven when he dies. He goes to heaven when he dies. And a Jew that is not Shomer Shabbat has no share to the world to come. Because it's written 12 times in the Torah, V'nichreta anefeshaim Yisrael. God declared in the Torah that he will cut that soul permanently from the Jewish nation in the afterlife. It's clear verses. Nobody can modify the Torah. And the Torah said they are righteous Gentiles. One of them was even a prophet, Eov. You heard about Job? Job wasn't Jewish. He was one of the most righteous people in history. He wasn't Jewish. No discrimination. We have to look at people, not if they're Jewish or not. If they're righteous or wicked. That's how you have to examine people. You know, in America, they don't like to be judgmental. Rava, you're too judgmental. We live in the 21st century. You can't be judgmental. The days of Chazal are over. You have to keep up with the society. Let me ask you a question. According to the Torah... There are three options. One, you must be judgmental every second of your life. Two, you're not allowed to be judgmental ever. Three, three, sometimes you have to be judgmental, sometimes you cannot be judgmental. Which one of the three is correct? Huh? One, two, or three? The answer... Every second of your life, you must be super judgmental. That's an obligation from God to every normal person, Jews and non-Jews. I'll give you an example. You walk at night in a place close to an Arab neighborhood. Shoafat. You know Shoafat? There's a lot of murderers there. Eat Bachel Yahud, kill Jews, slaughter all Jews. Shoafat. You learn in, uh, in Ramat Eshkol, it's not far. You walk at night, you see the Arabs looking at you, and they're holding something under their jacket. You must assume they have a gun and they're about to kill you. And you have to run and hide. You're not fair. Why is such a racist? Not all Arabs are killers? No, the Arabs are very nice people. Yes. But since there are so many murderers who murder us day and night nonstop, when they do something suspicious and they're close to me, I must act like there is about to be shot. I'm about to be shot any second. If I walk in Manhattan in a bad neighborhood in the middle of the night with a nice leather uh, uh, briefcase and an expensive watch and I see a gang, I don't know, whatever they are, Spanish, black, white, doesn't matter. Suspicious people, drug addicts, people that curse every other word, and I walk and they begin to follow me. 
Until now, they were sitting on a bench. I started to walk, and they follow me. I have to run and call 911. Why so judgmental? Why? The answer is because if I won't be, I'll be dead. There's no mitzvah in the Torah to be stupid. When someone comes into your business, wants to become your representative. You have a company, you sell beautiful diamonds to rich people. He comes with green hair, earring over here, tattoos on his face, long ponytail, ripped jeans. Hey, what's up? Ma, what's up? I came for the job. It's not for you. Get out of here. Why? He's such a racist. You want to represent my top-of-the-line diamonds? Who would buy diamonds from someone like you? Why? You're so judgmental. You got the point or no? Every one of you is super judgmental. But when you complain about it, it's fake. You complain about it, it's fake. The Torah say you have to judge righteous people favorably. And you must judge wicked people negatively all the time. Someone who known to be a thief, he was convicted already a few times in a bed din, he came to your party and you watched disappeared from your bedroom. You lock the door, you call the police. The police come, there's 200 people in your beautiful home. The police say, you have a suspect? This guy. Check him. Why me? You are the number one suspect. Why? Because you already proven your skills of stealing. They checked everywhere around him, they didn't find the watch. Oh, you offended me, you spilled my blood, you insulted me, shame on you, I'm done with you. Do you owe him an apology according to the Torah or no? You don't owe him an apology. I'm not mochel you, I'm not going to forgive you. Even if you come on Yom Kippur, don't come. Say, get lost. I'm not, I owe you no apology. Why? Because you already proven to be a thief. That's why the Torah say you're the first suspect. If someone is Mechalel Shabbat, every Shabbat he gets into the car and drives shopping. Now we see him on Shabbat, your son, your religious son, asks, Abba, how come the neighbor is Mechalel Shabbat? Now there are two ways to handle it. One, you say, oh, it's probably an emergency. Maybe his wife giving birth. Maybe the, his boy is sick. He has to take him to the hospital. Pikuach nefesh doche Shabbat. Or to say the neighbor is wicked. He rebels against Hashem and ignore Hashem's instruction. How do you have to answer your son? Depend who the neighbor is. If the neighbor has a status of a kosher Shomer Shabbat Jew and you saw him getting into the car, you must give him the benefits of the doubt. You say, this poor guy is probably an emergency. Let's retail him for him. But if he's someone who knows to drive every Shabbat, you have to tell your son because he's mechalel Shabbat and rebel against Hashem. And I'll have to tell him, oh, he probably have an emergency. The Torah did not say to be stupid. The Torah have rules. Someone that has a kosher status, you're allowed to eat in his house. Someone that eat not kosher in McDonald's, you're not allowed to eat in his house. Why? Don't worry, I'm going to get for you kosher food. I don't trust you. You don't care about your own soul. You will care about my soul. You're going to pay three times more for the meat? How can I trust you? You feed your own children with donkey meat. You're going to feed me with glad kosher bet yourself steaks? It's three times more on the price. Someone who's known never to eat not kosher. He comes to the restaurant. Where is your kashrut certificate? Who is the rabbi? Is it Kemach Yashan? Is it Bet Yosef? Which chita you buy? Let me see. What, I want to see the, the stamp. 
Oh, someone like this, I trust. He care about his neshama. He'll care about me. Make sense or no? Any questions so far? Yes. Ah, that's the famous question. Tinok shenishba. I'll repeat the question. There is an expression in the Gemara that sometimes the non-Jews used to come to make pogroms in the Jewish neighborhoods. When they came to make pogroms, they used to kidnap Jews, Jewish kids. They used to kidnap them. And this Jew doesn't even know he's Jewish. He was two years old when he was kidnapped. He grew up by these Christians or Arabs or Chinese, whatever they were. And he grew up like one of them. He doesn't know what Shabbat is. He doesn't know what kosher food is. He doesn't know tefillin. He doesn't know anything. He doesn't know mezuzah. Ah, it's somewhere in Kuwait now. They kidnapped him to Gaza. He grew up Arab. They, they already brainwashed him to kill Jews. You know how many Jewish terrorists you have in Gaza? The Jewish women marry Arab terrorists and they have 10, 15 kids and they join the Hamas. Many of these monsters who kill our soldiers right now, according to Jewish law, they are Jewish. 60,000 Jewish women married Arabs from the beginning of Israel until today. And each one of them had, in average, more than 10 kids. You do the math. How many Jews live in Gaza and murdering our children right now? Because of intermarriage. Ah, he was a nice Arab, Rafik. I asked him, what's your name? He said, Rafi. By the time I found out he's Rafik, I was in love with him. What's your name? Yossi. Three weeks he became Yusuf. By the time she found out, she's in love with him. He took her to the village. She lives with him in the Arab territories. They have 10, 15 kids. And these kids, everybody cares them in a school. Yahud, you kalb, you dog, you Jewish dog, you trader. Now the kids, they have low self-esteem. They're insecure because everyone called them a Jewish dog, a Jewish trader, you Jewish. You know how they talk about Jews. So they have to prove that they're not Jewish. So all of them become terrorists. They have to prove that they're not only not, not Jewish, they will kill all Jews that they can. And a lot of these people, you begin, believe it or not, they are Jewish people. They give them tons of drugs. They drug them now and they send them on a mission. They brainwash them. That's it. They don't know. That's called Tinok Shenishba. He was born thinking he's not Jewish. It, they told him all kinds of things. Someone like that, if he doesn't keep Shabbat, does he get punished? No. If he doesn't put filin, no. If he doesn't eat kosher, no. If he will murder, he will be punished. Because everyone knows you're not allowed to murder. You don't need to be religious to know it. If he's a thief, everybody knows it's the wrong thing to do. He will be punished. If he beat up some innocent person, he will be punished. Things that common sense require, they are still guilty of. But things that you can only know from the Torah, and they have no idea about the Torah... They are not guilty. They don't get punished for breaking Shabbat, for eating on Yom Kippur, for eating Hametz and Pesach, for marrying a non-Jewish woman. They don't, get me, they don't get punished. But if they will be gay, they will get a very serious punishment because that's required by common sense. And when the guy asks me, I don't like how you... I say, I'm not talking what I think. I only say what the Torah says. But let's talk about common sense. You have now someone created the world. He made two million species in nature. All of them design male, female, male, female, male, female. All of them get intimate and continue the race. 
to have more babies to born, you know. Same thing, people. If now we decide to redesign the world, all men will be together, all women will be together. What will happen after two, three generations? The world will come to an end. Is that what the creator of the world had in mind? Absolutely not. So regardless of religion, regardless of religion, even you don't talk about Torah, religion, nothing. Common sense. Two Jews, non-Jews in the middle of Zimbabwe. They don't know about Torah. They think someone made the world, yes. He made men and women, yes. The only way to bring more people to the world is between men and women, yes. That's the will of the Creator. Who am I to redesign the world? How can I mess with such, with what, with such fire? The creator of the world had a plan, and me, the nobody, decide to redesign the world. Of course I'm a criminal. And remember, I'm not talking about the Torah. That's before we read what the creator of the world said that will be the end of the gaze. Before that. Just common sense. It's wrong. So people don't want to hear it. Why? Because they were brainwashed. That it's perfectly fine. So when someone like me come and say what the Torah say, or even what common sense require, I am vile. I am crazy. I am primitive. I am whatever I am. Do you understand how it works? How many of them will be honest enough to say, you know, you're right, I have this desire, but I understand that it's against the laws of nature. I wasn't supposed to be this way. How many? I can count one or two like this I met over the years. The rest are all giving excuses. Why? First, people choose what they want to do, then they justify the mean. Just like the golden calf. I want to be with the goyot. She's too pretty, this woman. I want to be with her. How do I justify it? By saying nothing is wrong with that. And I will finish to answer you, and we'll take maybe more questions. Rashi, Rashi, writes that in order for a person not to be a baby that was kidnapped by the goyim, he has to know three things. That's it. Three things. One, the, the world has a creator. I believe every person in the world knows that someone unbelievable, superpower made the world. You don't know Torah, you don't know God, you don't know anything. But you see the world, you see brains, you see eyes, you see nerve system, you see liver, you see heart, you see all kinds of animals, you see eagles, you see oceans, you see galaxies, are all in unbelievable movement. It cannot be that something like this happened by a random explosion without a designer. If someone thinks the world was made by itself, excuse my language, is super dangerous to society. Super dangerous. None of you will want your daughter to marry. You know, if he will tell you that this, this plastic cup was made by a random explosion in a garbage can in Beverly Hills, I walked in Rodeo Drive, psh, explosion in a garbage. Whoop, something flew in the air, and look at this beautiful round, perfect, with lines, parallel, plastic up. One cent it costs. Any one of you will buy this story? If I tell you my watch was made by random explosion in a lab in Switzerland, you will believe it? No. If I tell you that the brain that has 10 trillion connections, the size of an apple, and it's so sophisticated with 80% liquid, 
And if you cut one wire, a person is in coma, that some sophisticated computer like this was made randomly by some explosion somewhere in the ocean. You would buy that? You're crazy. If you believe such thing, you can go home. There's no point of talking to you. Come on, you all know it. There's no such thing an atheist. The word I'm an atheist is leave me alone. I'm not interested to keep the laws. That's what it means, atheist. Connect every atheist to a lie detector. In a minute, I prove to you is a greater believer. You know how I know? Every person who came to me and said, leave me alone, I'm an atheist. What was his next statement? Where was God in Holocaust? So if you just say you don't believe there is a God, why are you blaming him for not being in a Holocaust? You see what a liar you are? <laughs> you are the best believer because it doesn't make sense to you how such a great God that made such a world will kill millions of people, include kids. So you have a very, very strong question against the way he operates. But you cannot say you don't believe in God. You believe in God, you disagree with what he does. Let me clarify to you what was the Holocaust about. It's written in the Torah with explanation why it would happen. But you don't know, so it makes problems for you to believe. It's all fake. They all know there is a God, and in time of problem, everyone is religious. The general of the Israeli army, before the battle started, he said, in the army, before going into enemy territory, all soldiers are religious. People from the kibbutz, lefty liberals, were saying Shema Israel, screaming, Hashem Melech, Hashem Malach. It's about to die. Who's going to save him? His grandma from the kibbutz? He knows if there is anyone can save him, it's only God. All of a sudden, everyone became religious. In a, in a hospital, when they take care of cancer patients, everybody there is religious. You don't believe me? I'll prove it to you. Take me to a there. I'm going to put my black hat. Walk with me in the aisle over there, in a, in a hospital. See how the Jews and the non-Jews. Rabbi, you rabbi, can you come pray for my father? It happened to me. I was in Clon, uh, Sloan Catering in, Manhattan, in York Avenue in Manhattan. I went to visit someone. Non-Jews came begging me, please come give blessing to my father or to my mother. How all of a sudden all of them became religious? Right now they know I'm a minute before losing my father. The only one who can save me is God. I promise you that some of these people that told me, come bless my father or my mother, they spoke a lot against God in their life. I'm an atheist, leave me alone, I can't stand religion. In a time of problem, when they get a letter from the IRS, as soon as they see IRS, Rabbi, help, please come to my house, I'm dying. Ah, all of a sudden you remember the rabbi is in town. Mendel, you the Chabad here. Come over with a tefillin before I open the envelope. What happened? You refused to put tefillin 10 years, I begged you. No, no, it's, a, it's an emergency. <laughs> so Rashi writes, there are three conditions not to be in One, you have to know there is a creator to the world. Every human being knows it. Next. What's the second condition? You have to know there is such a thing, the Torah. You heard that the Jews talk about the book that God gave them. You don't know what it is, you never saw it, you never read it, no problem. You just know there is such a claim in the history of the world that the Jews received a book of God. Every person in the world knows it. Every Christian, every Muslim, every Israeli, every American, everybody knows it. 
Everybody knows there is such a thing, the, the, the book of God. Next, the third condition. You have to know there is such a day called Shabbat. What is it? You don't know. You don't know the rules. You don't know how to do Kiddush. You don't know why he gave such a day, why God gave such a day. You don't know. But you know that there are Jews who observe the Sabbath, whatever that means. Shomer Shabbos Jews, that's all. If you know those three, you can never be Tinoch Shenishba. Because now you have an obligation to come and investigate. And the proof of that will be more than a million ballet chuvah in the last 20... Sorry, my name is Matitzyaw. My name is Matitzyaw. We met a few years ago. We corresponded over... Yeah, I remember you. Yes. Um, I would like to get a bracha. Yona. Yeah, give me a bracha. Thank you so much. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I watch your shurim every week from start to finish. Amen. Thank you, Rabbi. Shabbat Shalom. If you didn't call, cancel. I need a quick video for the Rolanda in Hebrew and English. And now he has a baby, Levi. Okay? How many times are you going to disappoint him? Last time you didn't show up. This time you don't show up. Now I hear you have a baby. Yeah, the show for The biggest When are you going to wake up? Next time I want to see you the first one here sitting in the first row. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I don't know. He, he said he came. He went next door. There was a funeral. So he thought it was canceled or something. So let's give him the benefits of the doubt. Anyone who wants book, $20. The yellow one and the blue. Can do our bit. I prayed already in the other show. Uh, organize Minyan here in the corner. No. Organize over there in the corner. Like this, you make them watch Torah and science. I have a question. You get it? Send them link to my film. That's the only way. What else? What are you gonna do? Bring them, drag them to a lecture? Thank you. What do you do about people that are not but divorces race? What's going on with that? What do you think is going on? I have lectures about this topic. Should yeah. listen to me. Yeah, of course. I, I highlight what causes it. If you know what causes it, you know how to be careful. If you don't know what causes well, it. What's the number one common issue? What would be the You say 70%? Social media. Social media. Num num number one killer for marriage social media. Women, men or women? Facebook, che cheating, laughing, sending hugs. Men and women. Church, bro. Church, bro. Thank you, Ramon. Finally, <laughs> No, I was invited to a wedding. I had to be next to the Kolel. Are you near the Kolel? How far are How's everything? How's dentistry doing? <laughs> <laughs>
pretty sure it cleans apart. You put it together? No, Eric did. You have the cheap? Can I actually return it to you? Or I can keep it? Take the chip? It. Yeah. The chip, of course. No, the, the, the memory card. Yeah, the memory Give card. Give it to me. I, I don't know how to get it. It's Mechila. No, no problem. But where is the card? One second. I'm going to phone call. Yes. Ah. No, what is this? That's not mine. Okay, fine. Fine.